I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the podcast where we discuss classic coin-operated video games, don't we, Mike? We do, Carrington. But before we get to this week's title, which I'm sure everyone's guessed already, uh, let's do some feedback. Everyone did guess this title. I was surprised. We got feedback. I got feedback. Do you want to read some feedback? Shall I read some feedback? Why don't you start and we'll just trade off. Okay, I will. Um, Richard, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mangle your last name here, Richard. Sorry, Richard Bernard Dowd, Bernard Dowd, uh, wrote to say, Tempest, best game ever. It was uh, the game all my friends would play, but I never bothered because I thought it looked too hard and so I'd hate it. I was never both as wrong and as right about one game as I was about that. Presumably he means he was wrong about it being too hard and, and right about hate. No, wrong about hating it. And right about. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was it's too hard. hard. I hated this game. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd write it to tell you. Um, right. And then he says, uh, "You and Mike are closet Apple II guys." I don't think we're really closeted about that, but okay. No, we're pretty open. <laughs> yeah, you and Mike are closeted closet <laughs> Apple II guys. Oh, feedback. Uh, so off you, to a great start. Already. Yeah. So you probably already know that there was no good version for the Apple II. So why don't you both make one at the next Kansas Fest, Mike? Why don't we do that? Oh, uh, that could be our hackfest entry. <laughs> what, what's your reason we're not going to do that? Because I've got a few. Because <laughs> I think it's just like you said, Richard. It's too hard. I think there's a reason why one didn't come out. It's, that's a hard game to do on on old tech. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, just getting the physics right, I think, would be probably difficult on a, a purely eight bit sixty five oh two machine. Right. So I, I suspect we won't do it for Kansas Fest, but I can pretty much guarantee that Mike will do it for a retro challenge. What? I've guaranteed it. It's been guaranteed. Oh, well, now I must do it. Damn you, Carrington. So what else did we get? Oh, you know what? I got another one here. Um, Sal, who won our contest, he wrote into, oh, yes. um, cause last week I was talking about, um, how here in Toronto, boo-hoo, woe is me, we have no arcades, and I went out to Palladium and they didn't have a Tempest. Well, he wrote in to say that the Palladium store, run by the same people, uh, sells arcade parts and includes spinners. And he sent us a link, and you can just head over to thepalladiumstore.com, and they sell um, things for MAME machines. They even have a whole section to get dedicated to MAME. They sell spinners and buttons and that kind of stuff. So it's another source and one here in Canada. And then he wrote... um for my Tempest gaming, I ended up using an old Wingman Warrior joystick in my main machine. The WW has a spinner slash dial built in, or inbuilt, as Ken would say, and it works perfectly when you load a mouse driver through pure DOS. If you decide to go this route, keep in mind that we're talking about really old, crusty hardware here, so it requires a game port for the joystick and a serial port for the spinner. And he said, P.S., the Pac-Man blanket is awesome. It's incredibly soft and comfy. Over the holidays, there wasn't a single person visiting our house that didn't use it. Well, I'm very happy that he has enjoyed his contest winnings. That's great. Now, remember, Sal, you have to tweet a picture of yourself with that blanket, or we will reclaim the prize from you. <laughs> yes, we will take it back. I will send Carrington over to your house to 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 repossess the blanket. Sal lives kind of far from me, you know. Canada's oh, a big place. Well, maybe not then, but if you could do that, that'd be great. <laughs> yes. So what else did we get, Mike? Oh, I got an email from uh, Dave Ross. Well, okay, so are we moving on to to next week's or this week's game? Because everybody, most of the feedback we got was actually from the game that we're about to talk about. I know it's crazy. It's only been a few days since we launched the last podcast because we record midway through the week. But a lot of people seem to recognize what this game is going to be, and we got a lot of feedback um, even before we've reviewed it. So that's we pretty did. Fun. Yeah. Sure, we talked. We, we got a lot about Moon Patrol. Mm-hmm. So we'll start off with Dave Ross. Uh, Dave says the music from next game's, next week's game, which is Moon Patrol, is seared into my brain for life. 
Worse, it's the music from the Atari 2600 version. Other than that, it's a great game. <laughs> um, I agree with you, Dave, and because I feel like everybody else should share your pain, here's a brief sample of the Atari 2600 music. Dave uh, also suggests that uh, in the future, um, on a future episode, we cover APB from 1987. Um, I've never played APB. Have I you? have not either, but I've seen the game, and it's the one with the flashing blue and red lights at the top. Um, rollers is, I think, what the cool kids call them, um, according to music that I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so I think any game in the 80s would be fair game. So sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, we'll add that to the list at some point. Thank you for the suggestion, Dave. Um, moving right along, Michael Sternberg wrote in to say that uh, recently Carrington had the very bad idea of driving from Kansas City to Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma or Fayetteville, Arkansas to visit retro arcades as a saner alternative. As of November uh, 2012, a local Kansas City arcade collector, Mike Freeland, started sharing parts of his collection at two KC locations 15 to 20 minutes from Kansas Fest. Uh, he suggests the Screenland Crossroads Movie Theater and Square Pizza. Either venue is worthy of an excursion. Screenland was recently showing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Hitchcock's Rear Window, and Square Pizza was recently offering pizza, surprisingly. At the very <laughs> least, withhold the temptation to review Galaga until Kansas Fest, where you guys can play mano a mano in the student union, assuming. Okay, so for those who don't know, uh, every year Kansas Fest is held at Rockhurst, University in Kansas City, and the student union has, for the several of the past years, had uh, a Galaga cabinet set on free play that we could go over and play mm -hmm. with. Um, Ken has taken advantage of that. Ken Gagney, I have, and I'm sure several other people as well. And so, uh, Carrington and I are, are going to to come to fisticuffs over this game <laughs> uh, in July. I promise you we will hold off until then, as, as tempting as it will be to talk about Galaga before then. Oh, I think so, too. I think that's the perfect way to do it. Although, isn't Galaga one of your favorite games? It is. And aren't you really good at it? Uh, not as good as Ken, but probably better than you. Oh, almost certainly. I suck at that game. I'm good enough to get that thing where it takes your ship, and but I'm not good enough to get it back. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. This will be an easy one. This will make up for today's scores, which we'll get to in just a minute. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Ken also wrote in. Um, he says, when one of you personally knows someone who beats both your high scores on a week's game, that person should be your guest on the show. Uh, well, he didn't mention which game, but I, I'm assuming that he meant, um, um, I don't know, Pac-Man or something. I wrote back to say that I think if somebody beats both our high scores, they should take over as a new host. I think you should have to play to get a seat on this on this show. You and I would be off the show so quickly. <laughs> I think I wrote that as well, that I would have been long gone from this yeah. show. Yeah. Um, so we haven't had a guest on yet, and I don't know that that's something that we'll do, but uh, we can maybe consider that. It won't be you, Ken, but <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Roberta McCarthy wrote in, and the subject of her email is Moon Patrol. Um, and she has an awesome email address. Is it spelled that way? With a ooh? It's with a bunch of O's nice. in both Moon and Patrol. And okay. she has a, an awesome email address that I'm not going to read out over the air here. She says, uh, I love your new podcast. Really great to listen to it each week. You guys sound like you were having a lot of fun doing it. I'm so happy that you're going to do a Moon Patrol show. It's my favorite out of all the old run and gun games. Don't forget to talk about the theme song. So catchy. 
And what is up with having five zones? 26 letters is divisible by four or six, but not five. So the trip from T to Z is an extra extra letter long. Oh, if yeah. you die between Y and Z, it's like you were cheated. By the way, did you know that the guy who made Moon Patrol also made the original Street Fighter, King of Fighters, and Fatal Fury, and tons more fighting games? So don't give Moon Patrol a bad review or he will kick everybody's asses. Everybody's! <laughs> we are all at risk here, so you better say nice things about his pretty pink moon buggy game. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Moon Patrol is awesome. Have fun playing it, and I look forward to your review. Well, Roberta, you are awesome. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Good feedback. You know, it didn't occur to me. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk shortly about the game, and, and you do go through zones that are lettered, um, but it didn't occur to me that, yeah, the one zone is longer than the others. I, I never spotted that. Yeah, me either. So much for my math. <laughs> uh, well, I, I as, as a, as a little up. Uh, Preview here. I never got to to Y to Z. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, I did. Oh, yes, yes. Wow. And we'll get to that, and the, the gloating will begin in just a moment, folks. I didn't know about that about the designer. In fact, I've been reading about this game, and now that I see online, she's absolutely right. He he didn't. Looks like he's given some interviews and stuff, but that's that's sort of not mentioned on things like Wikipedia and stuff. So it's a bit of info I did not know that that designer went on to do a whole bunch of fighting games. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. About it on Terranus. Even on Modus, they eat it up. It's Moon Patrol, the new video game cartridge from Atari. Console sold separately and hooked up by an adult. You can bounce over moon craters. Watch it, man. You can get you. You can zap flying saucers, but careful. This is more fun than any barrel of Earth <laughs> Moon Patrol, the Atari video game cartridge. Versions available for all Atari systems. Console sold separately. Well, my goodness. Yes. Moon Patrol is actually written by a Japanese company called IRAM and licensed to Williams Electronics. Um, here in the United States, as I said, it was uh, released in 1982. Carrington, what did you think when you fired the game up this time? Well, my, my first, my, it, it, it made me remember that I never played this game in the arcade when I first saw it. I played it then later. Mostly once I saw some home versions, and then I subsequently played in the arcade and really liked it. But the first time I saw this game, I had a totally different reaction than, um, uh, uh, was Richard who gave us the feedback saying, um, oh no, that was about Tempest. Anyway, I had a totally different reaction than Richard had about a totally different game, <laughs> which was, to me, it looked boring. I was like, oh God, that looks so, you're just driving sideways and you shoot at the same time up and down. Oh, that game will be dull. Uh, that game looks like a child's game. And so I totally skipped it completely foolishly. Um, cause subsequently playing it, I, I learned it's, you know, more challenging than it looks. It's actually really fun, has great music, great, really enjoyable gameplay, just sort of grips you at the beginning. I was completely wrong about my first impression of this game. Um, and I've subsequently learned to really, really like it. Yeah, me too. This was a good. I had not played this in quite a while. Uh, I was a big fan of it in the arcades. Apparently, time has taken its toll on my reflexes because, for the life of me, I could not figure out the timing uh, over the mines. Um, the one time I did get through it, I was imme- the the mine section. I was immediately decimated by the increased number of ships that were moving quite a bit faster. Right. Um, so, how'd you do on your high score? Well, as I tweeted, and you always know my scores are good when I start sitting on <laughs> <Yeah>. screenshots. <laughs> I know I was in trouble when I saw when I saw the Twitter notification. <laughs> That's so when I when I start the trash talk over Twitter, you know <laughs> I'm serious. doing good. So uh, I ended up uh, the best score that I got in this last week so far was seventy six thousand eight hundred. So I made wow. it all the way through the beginner's course, and then about halfway through the 
you you sort of do it again with new enemies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I made it about halfway again. So right. seventy six thousand eight hundred. What about you, Mike? How'd you do? <laughs> I got twenty three thousand two hundred and eighty. Oh, Not ha, ha, even ha. close. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I do remember uh again growing up and playing this in the arcade, being able to finish the course maybe one out of every ten quarters I dumped into it. I didn't even get close this time, so I did um, not finish the course one out of every ten. <laughs> I finished far <laughs> fewer than that. In fact, okay. I think I wrote to you or to somebody um, partway through the week when I was responding to something saying, mm-hmm. you know, I have yet to be able to make it to the end of this thinking course. And I had played a lot by that point. So I just got sort of lucky and got kind of into a into a zone when I was playing. And suddenly I got a whole bunch of really good scores. I tried again um, later on today and did terribly. I couldn't get past like zone <laughs> C. Like I just, I wasn't even making it to the mine. So my, my mojo is, has dried up. I think wow. you have to, you sort of have to have a rhythm going when you're playing this game. And I, I, I lost my rhythm. See, I, I wish that you had not found your rhythm until after we recorded this. <laughs> but no sense. I would have gone back and dubbed over. <laughs> That's true. Yes, you just would have re-recorded this section. <laughs> Uh, Moon Patrol runs on IRM M52 hardware platform. Its main CPU is a Z80 running at 3.072 megahertz. It has a sound CPU, the Motorola M6803 at 894.886 kilohertz, and two sound chips. Uh, they are the AY8910s, each running at the same 894.886 kilohertz. Uh, also two MSM5205 sound chips at 384 kilohertz. Uh, it's the standard raster 240 by 248 pixels. Uh, it is a two-player game. Obviously, only one person plays at a time. Uh, it has a two-way joystick to control the speed of the moon buggy and a jump and fire button. Which is deceptively simple controls because, and, because, and which is what I thought when I first saw the game that you don't, you don't have like a ship that can fly around. You're just this little, six-wheeled buggy, though you're seeing it from the side, so you only see three of the wheels as they bounce around. And, you're really trapped driving on the ground and jumping, like you can do a little little bounce, but there's no flying here. You can't move farther than like the, about the halfway point, so you're stuck on the left side of the screen. So very, very limited movement, um, but it, it actually takes a lot of finesse because you're trapped in that small section. You have to be looking forward to avoid the, the oncoming obstacles, things sticking up out of the ground, things dug into the ground. You also have to be looking above you at things flying above you and shooting down and sometimes then coming down at you. Um, so it's, it's, it's funny how you don't have, you don't have to move your man very much, but you do have to be watching two totally different parts of the screen at the same time and, and sort of timing the destruction or avoidance of those obstacles. So much more subtlety than it would appear at first. Yeah. My biggest problem was with the timing, especially with the bombs that, that were falling. If you're running all out, because as you go through the core, the course is divided up into to five sections. And, and as each section has a little subsection, it starts, it's, it's lettered like the alphabet. So you start at point A and you go A, B, C, D all the way down through the alphabet and, and each section, like, so you got A through E is one section. And then if you pass letter B and die, then you can restart at B. You don't have to go all the way back to A. Um, and as you're doing this, you're, you're, you're racing against the clock. So the better, the better time that you get once you reach point E, for example, the better score you get because every, I think the, it says the average time is set to 80 seconds. Right. So if you beat 80 seconds, every second that you beat that 80, you get a hundred point bonus. Though you wouldn't know this, you get a hundred seconds to make it to point Z or point Z. 
Ah, yes, I, I wouldn't know that. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that one letter longer, so it gives you, yes. it gives you more time. But yeah, so if you can beat the average time, then you get this great bonus. And I found that it was the desire for that bonus caused me to die so often. Oh, yes. Because I'm, I'm trying to race, I'm trying to cut down time instead of just taking my time and making sure I survive to the end. Yeah, that, that, that got me a lot, um, especially early on because I wanted like, okay, so my best time from A to, to E was 59 seconds. And that oh, was basically nice. with the joystick, well, with the joystick just cranked to the right. You That's know, better I got, than I've ever done. I, I, I made 60 seconds once, but usually I'm in the low 60s, you know, 62 to 65. If you're doing it the way I did it, where you just, you're going all out, you have to kind of hope that the bombs don't fall wrong because, right. well, and what got me a lot was if I was cranked cranking to the right and the alien ships up above were over to the left, they could fire a bomb at you where you can't speed up to get away from it and you don't have enough time to slow down to get behind the bomb. And so you're dead. Right. Um, because you don't, I mean, slowing down on the joystick isn't an immediate thing. It takes a little, it takes, you know, there's a little slowing down period. And if you don't time it right, you're dead no matter what you do. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's sort of like an accelerator. So you, you, you pull off it, but your car just sort of slows down. It doesn't immediately go to the left. So you do have to be sort of planning a little ahead in your acceleration and negative acceleration. Right. I found I got a lot further into this game when I stopped worrying as much about that bonus and just trying to beat these ships. Uh, there are three types of enemy craft um, that will de- try to defeat you from overhead. They appear in groups uh, of two to four at any given time. You have the regular craft that weave back and forth and drop bombs. The bombs can be shot with your anti-aircraft, but they do make difficult targets. But I liked that, though, that you have that chance to, to shoot their, their, their bombs out of the sky. Sure. Then you have the, the yellow elliptical craft, which behave nearly identically. Uh, to the regular one, they drop bombs on you with increasing accuracy. The longer you remain at a particular speed, the better their shots get. Oh. So make sure you mix your speed in order to confuse them. I did not um, realize yeah. that. And those are the ones that kill me almost every time. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you have the tri-orb craft. This craft is made of three circles bound together. It's sort of a bluish-purple color. Is the deadliest of them all. Rather than oh, dropping yes. bombs on you, they pitch terrain-deforming grenades in the path ahead of you. So they create craters that you then have to jump over while you are continuing to shoot at them. Uh, I did find that the regular craft, if you, if you didn't, um, sh- if you didn't kill it in enough time, it would just, I guess, like run out of gas and fall on you. you yes, ever- and it would, yes, it would come down. I wasn't sure, is it attacking me? Do I shoot it? What happens if I don't <laughs> shoot it? So, yeah, I would just knock it out of the sky. I was, I was worried about it. Yeah, those blue ones, man, that, that pitch those bombs forward. So you're driving, cause you're having to keep your, eye on that train and then these blue things come above you so you're shooting those but then you know when they shoot you hear that little explosion you think oh, crap now there's a hole in front of you i have the time jumping over and oh yeah those things man so tough on the ground you're you're faced with those pits the mines and you've got the uh, the rocks and later on in the game you have to time your jumps over the bigger pits so that you wouldn't when you landed, if you if you waited too long to jump, then you land, you wouldn't have time to shoot, and you'd blow up on the rock. Yeah, or you'd land right in the rock or something. So now you're having to jump the pit earlier so you can land just on the other side. And then you get the double rocks. Did you get those? I did, yeah. <laughs> those, that was a timing thing, too, because you'd hit one, and then you wouldn't have time to fire another shot, and you're dead. Yeah, So or you have to time so your shot goes and reaches it at your furthest distance because your shot doesn't go the whole length of the screen. It's only going about a maybe a third of the way through the screen from your point. So you have to time its explosion. And then there's the tiny little rocks, which are lower that you mm-hmm. can shoot over if you shoot too near them and stuff and just, yeah. oh, and all these pits. And then eventually there are these monsters or plants or something inside the pits. 
Yes, the oh. space plants. You get 100 points for jumping over them and 300, 500, or 800 points depending on how high they are when you destroy them. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I only just tried to shoot them if I could because I was afraid they'd reach up and grab me. <laughs> uh, there were also, and I did not see any of these because I didn't get that far, there were rolling boulders, tanks, and rocket cars. Yep, the rolling boulders, there's this one section sort of near the middle of each run right, where you go like up a hill. hill. Yeah, yeah, and then you go down I again. Do. It's when you're going up, these boulders come down at you. And then at the top, there's the normal stuff. And then the and then the tanks are after that section, and they're just like what you would think. There are these small little tanks, about half the size of of your avatar, um, that are now shooting at you. So you can shoot their pallet. Luckily, you don't have to aim; you just sort of shoot forward, but you have to time it. And then you can also shoot the tanks. But it's the same thing with the with the rocks. Now you've got say tanks right on. There's this one point in particular where there's a tank right on the other side of a pit. So you have to. It took me forever. This is finally learning to beat this particular piece of the the game because it is sort of a, a structured thing. You can you can learn the design, and th- with this one tank right on the other side of a pit, I I finally learned you had to shoot to time to knock out its bullet and then press both shoot and jump at the same time. So you launch a bullet that will destroy the tank right before you land on top of it. Wow. Um, took me forever to figure that out, though, that I should just do them both at the same time. It sounds simple, but, you know, caught up <laughs> in the, in the, with that great music going and the, and your, the timer is ticking down. It's, it's, you know, sometimes hard to think straight. Well, and that, that brings up another point here. There's actually the useful feature built into the game is that you can continue by dropping a quarter in after you, after all of your ships are dead and the game's over. Uh, you have 10 seconds, I think, to drop another quarter in and pick up where you left off. Right. You don't, your score doesn't continue. Your score starts over at zero, but at least you don't have to go all the way back to the beginning of the course just to try and figure out how to get past that, the tank behind the rock. Yeah. And so unfortunately, I found when I would continue, my gains would be very short because the reason <laughs> I was dying was I was sort of at a thing I couldn't get past. Right. So you drop in that other virtual quarter and I'm spending it really quickly. So, and every once in a while, I would just say, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the beginning, get my rhythm going again, and I'll deal with this hard part when I get there. Which probably explains why this game was such a moneymaker. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and it is like the, the music's really catchy. Oh yeah. And, and well, the, the, the controls are crazily simple. I mean, probably the simplest controls that we've worked with because you've got just a s- slightly speed up, slow down for your left and right. And then one button for jump, one button for fire. There's no aiming. You fire straight up and straight forward, both at the same time whenever you hit the fire button. So, there's so little you have to do to control it, but it's all about timing and finesse. So um, it's so deceptively simple. You always think if I threw another quarter in here, I could easily, you know, go way farther. Did, it took me forever to figure out what the warning lights at the top were for. Yes, that warns you when the ships are incoming. Well, yeah, and I because I never used to see that first light. So I guess I was just never looking up when because when there's no that the first light is telling you that there are ships coming above you. Um, and when there weren't ships there, I was like, oh, I don't have to look up. I'm just looking for for pits. <laughs> so I never noticed that one. And then the the middle light warns you that mines are coming. And then the bottom light is for when that um, that ground enemy guy is coming from behind you. Did did you get him? I did. Not not this time, but I do remember having to to time that. Yes, exactly. So some, suddenly there's another dude racing behind you. And then after a bit, he races forward and you have to jump up. So he goes under you and then you land behind him and you have to shoot him. Right, because you can't. You, this is one you have to jump over. You can't shoot. This, your buggy doesn't shoot backwards. Nope, you're only up and forward and just racing forward. There's no stop. There's no. It's just <laughs> go, go, go. You and your little buggy with your bouncing wheels. And it's so adorable. Like these these three bouncing wheels on the buggy. Um, at first, like when I first saw this game back in the arcade, that's one of the things that turned me off. I thought, oh, kind of a childish looking. That's a silly looking 
thing. Why wouldn't it just be flat? But once you learn to like this game, it's really charming. The fact that the ground is all rugged and then your car kind of bounces a little because the wheels are absorbing all this by bouncing up and down. Um, the wheels become the most interesting part of the character. And like, those are the ones you look at and those are the ones that explode and fly out when you inevitably eventually die. And I like it. I like the, I like the wheels. The game is Moon Patrol. Your mission is to pilot your moon wagon on the lunar surface, avoiding UFOs, rocks, and other lunar obstacles, and jumping over the craters. Score points by firing on the enemy UFOs, by destroying or by jumping over lunar rocks and other obstacles, and by jumping the moon craters. Make bonus points by reaching the goals set for you in better than average time. It's time now for your drive on the moon. The current official record holder for this game has nothing to worry about with us. <laughs> Once again. Uh, Mark Robichek currently holds this record with 1,214,600 points. Oh, man. It's crazy the scores people get on these things. Yes. It's, it's wild. So yeah, I think overall this is, this is a great fun game. I really enjoyed it. Um, I will, it's one that I, I will definitely be revisiting here because it's frustrating to know that I used to be a lot better at this and I, I want to <laughs> at least get back to where I was when I was in my teens. Yep. And like um, Mappy, it's a game that you can just sort of, I found, I, could, I played the heck out of this game this week and it's a, and it's a game that's simple enough and yet challenging enough that like Mappy, it's fun. Like Mappy, I never found that the, the the song while it's repetitive never grew stale like i really like the the theme song this little drum and bass sort of song that's playing during this thing um so it's just one of those games that i think like mappy i hadn't realized how much i enjoyed this game and i'm really happy to have revisited it really really fun game yeah me too i love the music uh very catchy stuck in my head um like our listener said um and now the atari 2600 music is stuck in my head as we're talking about it thanks a lot pal <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I found or I find interesting is more than really and partly it's because I think our, our listenership keeps growing but more than any other game we've talked about so far we got a lot of advanced feedback about this where we announced the game and here it is we're only recording a few days later and we've already received a bunch of email of people who spotted the game knew it from the music and want to want to write and, and email us and tweet us about how how they love this game and how it's still catchy and that kind of stuff, which is interesting because unlike some of the games we've talked about that that have that same massive following, when you look at Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and that kind of stuff, I can go over to ThinkGeek and I can get t-shirts and mugs and towels and everywhere you can get Space Invaders on stuff and Donkey Kong and Mario things. But there's no Moon Patrol stuff. Like, I, you don't see Moon Patrol shirts or Moon Patrol posters and stickers and that kind of stuff. So why is it that it seems to have, at least with our audience and, and with lovers of, of classic arcade games, really seem to like this game? Everybody knew it. Everybody likes it. But it doesn't seem to have... Like, why, why can't, why don't I see it around the way I see the other games that everybody seems to like? You know, I, that's, it's a, a really good question. I mm. don't know. The only thing that I can think of is that it was re released a little bit later on in the, the video game Rush, the, the Gold Rush. It was released in 1982, and maybe at that point people already had their favorite games, and the, the culture was well established. And it's funny because, I mean, not to knock this game, because I really do adore it, mm -hmm. it feels like a game that would have come earlier. 
Like, it's such a simple game, and, and what I like, it's got that whole parallax scrolling thing, which we didn't really talk about, but there's sort of three layers. You're in the front layer, which is your moon buggy on the ground. Then behind you, there are some mountains, and farther in the distance, there's more mountains, and everything moves at a slightly different pace. So you get that parallax thing, so it gives you a the impression of a like a 3D sort of look as you're moving. But even with that, graphically, like... And partly it's on my main machine seems to scroll this weird. So it was all a little fuzzy and the, and the wheels looked a little fuzzy and stuff. This is a game that definitely is suffering from not being on the right resolution monitor. But it didn't, I don't know, it seems like the kind of game that could have come out in 1981. Like I'm surprised that this came as late as it did. Yeah. When I was, when I was doing research for this game, it, it sort of caught me off guard to, to see that, that it was later on. Um, not that that takes anything away from the game itself. I mean, it's definitely just as enjoyable in 82 mm-hmm. as it would have been in 81 or 80. And it was popular as heck, because I think this thing got ported to, like, everything under the sun. It did. In fact, I have a list. Ooh, read read to me, Mike. <laughs> read me a story. Uh, well, our listeners love it when I read to them. <laughs> Don't you? <laughs> uh, so it was ported to pretty much every home computer out there at the time, the Apple II, uh, all the Atari platforms as well as the home computers. ColecoVision, the Commodores got it, the MSX, the the Game Boy, uh, later on the Dreamcast, the PlayStation, oh, and the TRS-80 and the Texas Instruments. Uh, a version showed up um, on Midway Presents Arcade's Greatest Hits, the Midway Collection 2 for Windows 95, and on the ZX Spectrum it was completed but never released. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Me, for me personally, while I'm an Apple II guy, was back then and still am very much so, I've never played this game on the Apple II. I did, however, play it on my – I had a TI-99-4A. And that was really the system that I played Moon Patrol on the most. And it was funny how I forgot that that has a different layout than the arcade and most other ports because the scores and stuff, the buttons are on the bottom of the screen. They're, they're below the, like sort of embedded in the ground you're driving on. And I forgot that that was a weird thing about the TI version. I, I, to me, since that was the version I played the most, when I started playing the arcade one on MAME now, I thought, oh, why did they move the scores to the top? How strange. But it turns <laughs> out, no, I was just used to the weird one. Um, um and I also played, a few others, but I back in the day, I played the Atari ST version, and it looks amazing. So if you're looking for like a vintage computer version, it's the Atari ST version that I would recommend. I mean, my memory of it is it looked as good, if frankly not it actually looked better than the arcade version. It was an incredibly good port where they added a lot of details to the background and that kind of stuff. So they actually, if anything, it looks like it's a, like a slightly higher resolution game, but with the exact same gameplay. So the, the Atari ST version was a really, really good port. Uh, there were three versions, three cabinet versions of this game released, the standard upright uh, the cocktail and something called the candy Japanese. I'm not familiar with that. Do you know I, what that is? I think so. I think the candy ones are the ones with the larger monitor that leans back on like a 45 degree angle. They're normally oh. an off white, like a beige sort of cabinet. Okay. They're really big cabinets that you sit yeah. at. Those ones. I think that's a candy cabinet. Interesting. If, if I'm wrong about that, um, then I'm, I'm sure, sure somebody will write in. Know, yes. I'm sure everybody <laughs> knows more about this than me, but I'm Dear pretty Karen sure. Dear Mike, you're wrong again. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about as usual. You're not hardcore gamers. <laughs> also very true, but I'm pretty sure that's what a candy cabinet is, but I'd be okay. very interested if somebody would write in and let me know if I'm wrong about that because I, I am interested in cabinet stuff. So. 
So I have, um, I found, I got one play tip that was sent to me. Um, and it completely contradicted something that I thought I had figured out. I was like, oh, I figured out a system that lets me do better. And then somebody gave me a playing tip that was the exact opposite of the system I was using. And it actually improved my game a lot. So my system was wrong. The system I came up with that I thought was, oh, Mr. Smarty Pants <laughs> was to not fire as fast as you can. You can have four bullets going at once. Uh, shooting above you. And so if you rapidly press the fire button, you send off like a stream of four, four bullets, but then there'll, there'll be a gap. Well, you have to wait for those to, to clear the screen before you can shoot more. So you, and I thought I was doing better by instead pressing sort of at a rhythm. So I had a constant stream of bullets going. So it's sort of like a wall of bullets above me. Nothing could pass through. I was totally wrong about that because things are passing through it back and forth. But, you know, I had this I had this thought in my mind that this was good. So I stuck with it. And then somebody wrote to me to say a, a good tip is to instead fire as fast as you can and jump. Because if you jump while you're firing, you actually compress your bullets even more. And they become almost like a little solid plug of bullets that goes up and nothing can pass through them. So you can send up that wall of bullets. And as the the spaceships pass back and forth above you, you will you will necessarily hit them. And it turns out that's a much better way to shoot, is to oh, sort of wait till there's a cluster and jump and fire as fast as possible. I'll have to give that a try. Yeah, so that that improved my 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 gameplay a lot. So that's that's a this the only game this is the only playing tip I got, but it turned out to be a really good one. So Carrington, would this be in your Hall of Fame? Would this be in your house somewhere? Um, now that I'm actually getting these in my house, <laughs> I've got no room. I can maybe have three of these things before I'm going to have to move. Um, I think, you know, I, I, it's right on the cusp. I think that it would, but right now, I, I'd like to see what, what it's like in the third level. Because you play the beginner course, which is, you know, you go from A to Z, really fun. And I got about halfway through the, the next course, which is the same layout again, but it, but it ups the ante by adding sort of more things. And mm-hmm. from what I can tell from reading about this, it's, that's it. Like once you finish that second course, it's just going to repeat and get a little faster. And I think I would want a little more gameplay before it's something that I would invest like hundreds of dollars and a bunch of floor space in. So I, if there's more to the game after that, because I think I could get good enough to get them, <laughs> then, then I think I would want one. And if not, I think it's something that instead would be like a favorite for me to put quarters in when I make it to arcades. So that's my call on that. What about you, Mike? Would it make your top ten? Well, uh, yeah, I think so. It would probably be closer to, to eight or nine. Um, and I, I sort of actually already have this game. And this is going to lead me to a long and boring story. Tune out now, folks. Give me about 10 minutes. I'm tuning in. I love your long, boring stories. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, I'm an Apple II guy. And back in high school, in junior high, I guess, so mid-80s, uh, I pirated a ton of Apple II software. <gasps> nasty. Yes, nasty, dirty little pirate. I know. Um <laughs> I met a guy who worked at an arcade. He he wasn't he wasn't the guy that uh, walked around and handed quarters out or anything. He worked in the back fixing arcade machines. And he picked up an Apple II. Um, and we I had known him for a little while, and he was telling me about this Apple II and how he didn't have any software and this and that. And I said, "Well, just come on over, and we'll we'll copy a bunch of discs." Um, so he comes over, and he didn't want to just take the discs from me. He felt bad, so he wanted to give me some stuff. Didn't really have a lot to offer, and so he gave me a bunch of dead 
uh, arcade PCBs. Oh, cool. In fact, he gave me three large U-Haul boxes full of PCBs. Oh, my God. I had completely forgotten about this until I went over to my parents' house for Christmas this year, and they said, what do you want to do with these boxes in the basement? I opened them up, and there's probably 200 uh, dead arcade PCBs in these boxes just waiting to be fixed, and one of them is the, the triple set of boards from Moon Patrol. So I thought nice. that was kind of cool. Yeah. So you're going to fix it? Well, I can probably convince my wife that the games need to be fixed and I should spend the money on the PCBs now convincing her that, that I need to build cabinets in the house to, to install these, these PCBs in might be a bit of a challenge. But you could build like one cabinet and some sort well, of switching that's, mechanism. That's kind of what I was thinking where I could maybe come up with some sort of tray system where I could just slide the boards in and out as I wanted to switch games. Or if, they're, if a lot of them are JAMA boards, then they're actually relatively easy to, to swap out. Right, exactly. Now, I don't know how feasible that would actually be in the long run. I, I haven't taken a look at, you know, there was there was the, the Moon Patrol, there was Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Asteroids, and, and those are the ones that I remember off the top of my head. There's a bunch that I have to go through and catalog and look at, and I'm sure that some of these will not be worth saving, but they're all worth saving. <laughs> that's right. Save everything. <laughs> Save everything and make it all work and invite me over. That's totally awesome. Yeah. So that's my long and boring arcade PCB story. I liked it. Thank you. I was gripped the whole way through. <laughs> so it would be one that I would repair and play. Yes. Nice. That makes you very cool. I may just do that. It's <laughs> <Nice>. awesome. <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, unless you have anything else to add about Moon Patrol. Oh, no. I'm excited. I'm excited to learn what our next game will be. Well, here's a sound sample for you. All right, while everyone else is puzzling over that, uh, we will we will get to, to trash talking on Twitter and, and playing uh, Only if game. I'm doing good. <laughs> I, I, I right. cherry pick the weeks That's I trash talk. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I know I have nothing to worry about when I haven't heard from Karen. <laughs> I know if I go silent on Twitter, it's because I'm struggling. <laughs> well, awesome. I look forward to playing this next one. Yeah, me too. And beating you at it. Uh, will never <laughs> happen, my friend. <laughs> we will see. We will see. Okay. Thanks to everybody for listening. Yeah. Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback to the show can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet productions, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>